0: Before I preach to you, I should, uh, as my mother correctly encouraged me to do, say a very deep thank you to all of you uh, for having me in your great country and in this great church to spend this uh, week with you. Uh, You have no idea how humbled and privileged I have felt to be with you. First night I was awake, you know, wondering whether anybody would come back the next day and I'm so pleased that you're here, and it's good to see you. Uh, my talk today is called Hanging On When Times Are Tough. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 tells, says this, Let us run with perseverance. The race that is set before us. Perseverance, as you know, in more ways than one, is a big New Testament word. It's a wonderful story told about an old couple who went to bed one night and they're lying there together. And the wife says to the husband, you know, there was a time when you used to hold my hand at night. So he stretches out his hand, and she holds it. She said, you know what? There was a time when you used to snuggle up close to me before you went to sleep. And he kind of gets his creaky bones and moves over on the bed and snuggles up to her. She says, yeah. And she said, there was a time when you used to nibble my ear. Abruptly, the guy threw back the um, uh, covers, and and she said, where are you going, Finger Little Hurt? He said, I'm going to get my teeth. Uh, John Ortberg, speaking about that, uh, says this. To nibble on an ear when you are young and full of romance and bubbling hormones, and the room is scented with odor something, is one thing. To be still nibbling when the ear holds a hearing device, and the room is scented with Bengay, that's something else. And I'll tell you what it is. It's perseverance. I was feeling good there. uh, I've been married 43 years and and a friend sent me an email about a dear preacher called William Friel who's helped me so much in his ministry. And um, uh, it just wrote to me, said, uh, Mr. Friel is celebrating his 64th wedding anniversary. Imagine that. And I'm like, whoa, I'm a lightweight and I need to persevere. The, The thrust of my text... Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. The thrust of my text is this, don't quit. Don't quit. They did some research not long ago, uh, extensive research as a matter of fact, on what factors people would say have been the most formative in their spiritual growth. And you would think that people would write stuff like answered prayer, Or slightly more cynical people might say, thank God our rector's found a new parish. No, the number one response consistently and mysteriously in a way was people said the most formative thing in their spiritual growth had been times of suffering and pain. Well, you might ask yourself the question, so okay is the deal that we should be actively seeking out pain and suffering so we might experience a surge in our own spiritual growth well back in pre-medieval times, uh, apparently there were some Christians who thought that, I read a book about a bunch of monks who used to stick uh, prickly holly leaves in their undershorts to make them humble now, I would imagine that would be a pretty effective strategy myself So the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews says to us this, let's run with perseverance the race that is set before us. The epistle to the Hebrews has one very important exegetical key. You want to understand this book, slightly weird book, I agree. If you want to understand this epistle, what you need to understand is, this was written to Jews who had come out of the synagogue to follow Christ, and we're now tempted to go back and ditch the whole thing. The epistle was written to Jewish Christians who were thinking of quitting. And the crux of the argument, I think we find in chapter 10 and verse 39, when the author of the epistle writes these words We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. I was looking at that, in a way, kind of tragic and hopeful book written by C.S. Lewis, a grief observed following uh, the death of his sweet wife, who he nicknamed H. And he wrote about that. He said, You know what? I never ever doubted the existence of God. He said, But the doubt was around what's God like? Have I been fooling myself? Is he basically, and and C.S. Lewis used this phrase, he said, is God basically a cosmic sadist? Well, as you know, if you have ever read the epistle to the Hebrews, the writer uses kind of several all-stars of the Jewish faith to make his point that it was faith that enabled them to persevere. But one character in Hebrews chapter 11 stands out massively. And it's Abraham. This is a man you recall. He's an Old Testament guy. He never ever knew about the gospel. Uh, He never ever uh, knew about Jesus and the cross. But we learn some stuff from Abraham. He was called by God to leave the comfort of his home in Haran and go out on a scary journey on the back of a scary promise. God promised him that his descendants would bless the earth, which is rather strange because at that point in his life, Abraham was 75 years old and was childless. And you know, some people who are childless feel there's a stigma attached to that in our, con- in our cultures today. Back in those times, man, this was really serious stuff. Off the back of a promise, at the age of 75, this childless man decided he would leave at the security of his life in Haran and would go off on a scary journey, not knowing where he was going. He teaches us, faith means that we have to leave some stuff behind often. Bad habits, bad lifestyles, occasionally bad relationships. Abraham teaches us that faith means believing in God's promise. That God is a faithful God. And Abraham reminds us that faith means stepping out often in a new war uh, with him. But in one remarkable turn of events, Abraham teaches us that faith means holding on to God's promises... When everything else, every other circumstance around you would encourage you to let go. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Abraham waited 13 years for the birth of his son Isaac. And then the word of the Lord came to Abraham again. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I imagine that Abraham was wondering whether his hearing device was working well. I imagine that there was a surge of fear. I imagine that there were a thousand and one things going through Abraham's mind that would not make him go and sacrifice his son. You know what Abraham's response was? This is scary. I am here. And he set off on that journey to Moriah. To us, this seems perverse of God. That kind of God that we heard about in our Sunday schools, the God we hear about in our churches, you know, this is like a love thing. Why would that God test his dear servant Abraham in this way? Here am I, said Abraham. And friends, some of you know, and some of you will soon know that God does test us. He tests us through stuff like suffering, through temptation, through confusion, through doubt, through loneliness. The list could go on. The one thing I know is this that being tested is never particularly pleasant. In fact, the Bible, it's interesting that in the Bible, the only reference to people being tested is not the heathen nations. It's the people of God who attest it. You must know that great story of the uh, guy who was a sophomore in college and was taking his final year exams. And he was studying a degree in ornithology in birds. And he went for the final exam. And he goes in the room. And to his horror, there's no exam paper. There's one invigilator. And on the wall are 24 Photographs. Not, bird, not photographs of birds in full plume or anything like that, but photographs simply of birds' feet. And from the birds' feet, the man is supposed to identify what species of bird is photographed. He says to the individual, that is just not fair. I am not doing this. The guy said, that's the exam. You do it. He said, it's not fair. I'm going. He said, if you go, you will fail the exam. I thought about it for a moment. He's walking towards the door. By the way, said the invigilator, what's your name? So the guy took his shoes and socks off and said, you tell me. (laughs) Testing. Testing in the sense that the Bible uses the words is a difficult experience. Through which we discover what our true values are. What our true commitments are and what our true beliefs are. And I want to give you, yet again, four things to think about. Especially for those of you who right now feel that you are somewhere on the road to Mariah. That somehow God is testing you in a way that seems unfair. That life has affected you in such a way that just seems so negative. It's like, man, I'm walking through the fog. First thing, if you're on the road to Moriah... Look for God in the small acts of kindness from people around you. I told some of you earlier in the week about my friend Julie who lost her daughter in a a vicious terrorist bombing in London. She said the thing that helped her most was that people around her would just do these small mercies, small acts of kindness. And when she lost sight of God for herself, she suddenly began to see God taking shape through these small acts of kindness. Gonville French beater, a somewhat lacy and gin-soaked Anglican priest from London, said this, he wished that Christians would hang a bedpan around their necks rather than a cross. Because, he said, a bedpan would remind us that service of Christ more often means menial and undramatic acts. Then it means superstar status or celebrity status. Second thing is, even if you can't find time on your, you cannot find uh, enthusiasm to pray on your road to Mariah. Please, 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 be humble enough to ask others to continue to pray for you. I think we've all gone through periods in our lives myself in that comment where life has felt so difficult I've not known how to pray and I haven't had much enthusiasm to pray but boy I've been glad that faithful friends have upheld me in prayer and brought me through 3. Believe that uh, though right now you can't see any purpose or virtue in what's happening to you trust God's promise 1 Corinthians 13, the great apostle tells us that today, those of us on planet Earth, we just see in part. We see through a mirror dimly, he said. One day, we shall see fully. It doesn't make our suffering go away or anything like that, but it recontextualizes it. If there will be a day when all those unanswered questions you have will be answered. when you want to be a part of that day? And fourthly, and this is difficult. Some people use their own suffering to attract unhealthy attention. I quickly made up my mind after uh, my wife and I had a dreadful road accident back in 2006. that The easy thing for me would be to preach every sermon about how we cope through all that. And I quickly decided, this is just drawing attention to me. And sometimes people really enjoy bad health, don't they? Because they become attention seekers. Listen to me. Our God is faithful. I don't believe these people, do you? They tell you they're only happy when they're in his will. What about the saints? What about the martyrs? No, well, sometimes being in God's will is the hard yards of the road to Maria. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote this. she said, The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found a way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. She says, beautiful people don't just happen. There's a warning, isn't there? And that is, not all people who are tested prevail. Some grow a root of bitterness in their soul. Some are absorbed by their grief or their anger. You get my point. The road to Moriah has a fork in it, and it has a clear signpost. One way points us in the direction of fear and capitulation. The other way is to hang on to God and see what happens. And only you can choose that route. The God who said to Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him, would be a perverse God if it were not for this truth that we are in church to celebrate. That God took his own son and sacrificed him. And sacrificed him because I am a wretched sinner. And you, my friend, don't want to be offensive. You are wretched sinners. Here's my advice. When the going gets tough, which route will you take? You can either walk in fear for the rest of your life. Or you can walk in faith. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God and Lord, um, we'd love to tell you that we love being tested but Lord, uh, nobody likes it and Father God, I pray for anybody in church today who's walking on the road to Moriah. Lord, who's going through a period of intense suffering or doubt or grief or Lord, whatever. Father, help us to trust your promise. Help us to know that there will be a day when all those questions that we have, when we see you face to face, will one day be answered. Lord, help us hang on to you. That we may not only share your suffering, but we may share your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And the people join together and say, Amen.